Welcome to Pushing the Limits, the show that helps you reach your full potential with your host, Lisa Tarmaty, brought to you by lisatarmaty.com. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to Pushing the Limits. And today I have just a super, superstar for you, Dr. Brian Walsh, who's sitting in Maryland in uh, the USA. Uh, Dr. Walsh is someone that I've followed for a long time and learned from. He is one of the great teachers in uh, biochemistry uh, and physiology. And today we are discussing detoxing, very relevant to this time of the year. And this is all really next level information because it's all about detoxing like what are the actual uh, physiological steps of a detox process and what is the latest in current research this is not something you read in a two-page magazine article detox type of thing but this is the real deal with someone who really really knows his stuff now dr brian walsh has been studying human physiology and nutrition for many many years and he spends his time sort of pouring over the latest research and synthesizing all of that information for the layperson to be able to understand. And he also lectures at uh, Western States University in biochemistry and is a healthcare professional. He's a doctor of naturopathic uh, medicine um, and he has an online educational platform called metabolicfitnesspro.com where he helps other health professionals like myself and many, many others as well as lay people with his programs and courses. And we're going to be discussing today, as I said, uh, detoxing, how to do it properly, when not to do it, what to be aware of if you are doing it. Um, and he's, you know, Dr. Walsh is, is someone who's really known for challenging traditional dogma and health. And he actually goes and does all the research does deep, deep dives into all of the clinical studies, into PubMed, and then brings us the latest in information. So he's uh, really someone that you want to have on your radar, someone that you want to know um, if you want the latest and greatest in information. Um, I hope you enjoyed your Christmas time. By the time this episode comes out, Christmas will have been passed. And we're into the new year, and hopefully the world is on a new trajectory and that 2021 is going to be a hell of a lot better. And what better way to start the year than with a discussion around detoxing and getting your body in good shape for the year ahead. So uh, without further ado, I'll be heading over to Dr. Brian Walsh. And just a reminder too, if you want help with any health issues, if you are dealing with anything, please reach out to us, lisa at lisatamati.com. You can reach me on email if you're wanting information about our online run training programs at Running Hot Coaching, uh, want personalized run training please do reach out to us as well. We just launched a new package uh, that will be coming out in the next few weeks. So um, keep an eye out for that where we're going to be offering video analysis as well as fully customized programs and a session with me, all included in the in a package price that's really, really uh, a no-brainer. So if you want to find out about that, please reach out to us at lisa at lisatamati.com. Of course, our epigenetics program is still open. If anyone wants to know and understand their genes, uh, understanding everything to do with your genes, eliminating the trial and error for your body, understanding what foods to eat exactly, where, which areas you're predisposed to have problems with, how your brain functions, what your dominant hormones are, all of this sort of great information. Uh, Please also reach out to us and we can put you in the right direction. We've done a few uh, webinars already on our epigenetics program. And in the coming weeks, we're also going to be having Dr. Cam McDonald on from PH360 
Susie, who's going to be going a little bit more deeper into this. So I hope you enjoy this session, though, for now with Dr. Brian Walsh, and we'll head over to him right now. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Pushing the Limits. This week, I am super excited. I'm jumping out of my skin. I have a man who I really, really admire. I love his work. He's got an incredible brain, uh, just absolutely mind-mind conversation we ha- we're going to have today. I have Dr. Brian Walsh with me. Welcome to the show, Dr. Walsh. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. <laughs> It's a really, really an honor to have you on. Dr. Walsh, can you give, uh, you're sitting in Maryland in the States. Yep. Um, can you give us a bit of a background just on who you are and a sort of a quick synopsis and your background as a physician? Sure. And <clears throat> well, and yeah, I guess I should say it all started out. Um, I was very much into uh, health and fitness, even at a young age, quite honestly. Um, I became a, a fitness professional is how I started. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that, I did a lot of orthopedic work. So that led me to massage therapy. So I did, I did massage and, and I was a fitness professional. And the problem was, <clears throat> is um, my clients would ask me health advice. And here in the States, I'm, I'm a law abiding citizen. I could have talked to them about nutrition and supplements, but I wasn't allowed to with, with those, those things that I did. Um, so then I looked and there's something in the States, it's a naturopathic physician, naturopathic doctor. I know you guys have naturopaths there. They're mm-hmm. a little bit different. It's a, it's a four year postgraduate degree. So you go to four years of university and it's additional four years. And then you have your doctorate. That sounded really good to me because mm-hmm. I was already into alternative health. I was, I was devouring books on health, on herbs, on homeopathy, on you know, everything in the health. And that was the umbrella. Uh, mm-hmm. for all these things that I was interested in. I thought, wow, that's great. Perfect. So I uh, went through four years of that, spent a way too much money, but it's also where I met my wife. So it, it was money was really well it. spent. Yes. <laughs> it, although we both went to school there. So we had doubled our debt essentially by marrying <laughs> each other. Um, but what we quickly realized is that it didn't really prepare us to do what we wanted to do. And, you know, it didn't take long. I was sitting in front of patients and I honestly, I didn't think I knew what I was doing. I didn't feel qualified. I'd been, you know, I spent all that money into four years of school, um, great classes, but it sounded like, you know, on all these great topics. But, and so that started me, and this is all to tell you this story where I realized I had to teach myself everything that I had to teach, reteach myself physiology. Um, I know we're going to talk about detox today, but how I stumbled upon, you know, that what I'll call is the truth about detox. Mm-hmm. And so where I am today is I believe in old medicine. I believe in the body heals itself. Um, but, but Western science and Western medicine is incredible. I mean, we owe much of what we know about the human body um, in terms of mechanisms and pathways and how herbs even work in the first place mm-hmm. to Western science. So what I try to do is bridge the best of both is to take the alternative nutritional functional health world, which is great for some things, but horrible in others, mm. and combine that with conventional Western medicine, which is great in some things, but horrible in others. And I try to connect the two. So I don't know if that gives you much of an idea, that's, but that's, that, that, that's, I love that's science. Brilliant. And I love, I love the way... I, yeah, I, I love the way that. you sort of combine the the, 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 the traditional or, or the alternative with the allopathic sort of model because they do both have good things and they do Absolutely both have do. problems. So it's a really well, good. And I can tell you, like, I love science, but 
but I will be the first to tell you that science will never prove some of the things in life that are the of the most important things, you know, wow. I mean, relationships and love and, and how we, we try to study how the brain works. And I don't think we have any idea. You know, we, we try to we're, we're doing genetic testing now. I don't think we talk about the microbiome. I don't think we know much of anything when it comes to these things. Um, so science is fascinating. It's so fun. It can occupy you for yeah. hours upon okay. hours upon hours of reading in the rabbit hole of PubMed. But I don't think it will it will ever offer some of the answers. So that's kind of where I live is that we have we live in this expansive universe full of all sorts of possibilities. Um, but here on Earth, science really helps us a lot understand certain things, but it doesn't contain all the answers. It's a very uh, humble uh, approach and I think a really good place to start because, you know, we know a lot, we, 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 we don't know a lot more, um, sure. but we have to sort of work with what we've got and the best knowledge. And this is something that I've really enjoyed out of, like, I think I've devoured everything I could find on the internet of, of yours. And, and I must say, sometimes I'm like, my brain is spinning <laughs> <laughs> trying to keep up and um, it, it's fantastic. And I was talking to a colleague who's also really into you and he, he's, he's, you know, got a master's in physiology and he said, well, I struggle too, you know, so um, don't feel bad. Um, mm. But you do have a way of putting things into analogies that I have just found absolutely fascinating. And today we're going to go into detoxing. And there is an analogy in this story that I've heard you speak of a couple of times that really went, aha, I get it now. Um, so we definitely want to delve into that analogy. But um, so just uh, to start with with uh, detoxing, let's look at what detoxing in the public realm, if you like, in the popular, you know, the magazines, the, the, the people talk about detoxing a lot. And I think it's a very, um, it's not a, we don't understand what detoxing is. So let's start there. What is a proper detox? <laughs> so what you just described, that's the problem. It's a mess. Yeah. Um, I was just in the checkout line at a grocery store two days ago. I, I even took a picture of my phone to send my wife and it was like, you know, a faster way to do a liver detox. And it was some medical doctor. I thought, I'm not even going to open that magazine. It's going to be garbage. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you're right. You know, you can, uh, People say drink a little bit of lemon juice in the morning, and that's a great way to detoxify the body. And then I was in the airport one day, and I saw these foot pads that you put on on your feet to help you know pull toxins out of your feet. And then there's the <laughs> foot baths, and there's colonics, and you know there's all these different things. And that's why that's why conventional medicine doesn't believe any of this because you have these people saying, well, you know, when you skin brush, then you're detoxifying yourself. Maybe, maybe not, but no wonder they think that we're a bunch of quacks because when, if you stand back and look at all that nonsense, it is, it does look like quackery. Yep. In the eighties detox, the only detox there, unless you were like a hippie in the eighties um, was, was like a celebrity uh, going through some kind of rehab. Yeah. And so for some kind of addiction, alcohol or drug addiction, then they would go through some kind of rehabilitation. And that was a detox. That was the only yeah. detox there was. And, that makes and all sense. of a sudden, everybody started getting on this detox bandwagon. And the thought is, is that we are uh, bombarded with, um, have we're, we're basically these toxic waste cesspools of disgustingness inside of our bodies. Mm -hmm. And the only way to get rid of it is to do these, to, to detoxify. Now, um, there's some truth to that, not, some, some truth, but our body has, is designed to, a better way to say detoxification is biotransformation, first of all. Uh -huh. So 
there are two different types of, we'll call I, I don't even like the word toxins, quite honestly. Um, you can call them xenobiotics, mm-hmm. starting with, a, with an X. Xenobiotic means it's something foreign to the body. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also call them environmental pollutants, environmental toxins, whatever you want to call it. Some people say synthetic, but that's not true because mercury is, is toxic to the body yeah. in high amounts. Um, so, you know, for, for lack of better terms, we, we can call them toxins, xenobiotics or whatever, but you know, they're, they're things that are foreign to the body that in, in, in excess can cause damage. Um, there's essentially for simplicity's sake, two forms, there's water soluble and there's fat soluble mm. water soluble. Uh, by and large, I don't think we have to deal with too much because our body is really good at getting rid of it. Our body mm-hmm. is so much water already. We don't have to do anything to it. If we have access to something that's toxic and it's water soluble, our body's pretty good at getting rid of it. And when you look at the ways of getting rid of something, um, in terms of it's, it's anywhere that water goes. So sweating, obviously, uh, urinating gets quite a bit of quite of water. Um, in feces, there's a small amount of water that gets expelled there. And even technically, and, and people have measured this, but in tears or saliva, you yes. can get rid of, of toxins too. So anything where water is leaving the body, then water-soluble toxins are leaving as well. And I personally believe that, that those aren't much of a concern to us because our body, it's kind of like if you take a whole bunch of B vitamins, mm-hmm. technically those can be toxic in high amounts, but they're water-soluble and your, and your urine turns glow-in-the-dark yellow if you take too much of it because yep. your body's getting rid of it. Same with vitamin C or any of the water-soluble vitamins. Interestingly, and there is, I hadn't thought of this as a way of describing this, but the vitamins that they say to be careful with are the fat soluble ones like vitamin A, D, E, and K because they can accumulate. And then those are the toxic, you know, quote unquote vitamins if you look at conventional medicine. Mm. So fat soluble toxins, those ones are more of concern because they can get stored uh, and the body has to work a little bit harder in order to get rid of them. In other words, you have to take something that's fat soluble turn it into something that's water soluble, and then the body can get rid of it and all those pathways that we talked about. Yep. So um, the body has built-in de- detoxification or biotransformation processes. Everybody says it's the liver, but it's not. These, mm-hmm. The not enzymes and steps necessary for this are found in a number of tissues and in quite a bit. So things that have exposure to the outside world, the skin has these, this ability uh, the liver does, the kidneys do, the lungs incidentally do, mm-hmm. um, the testes in a guide does, and you consider the location as exposure to the outside world more so than some of the internal organs. Um, but, and, and we can go into details of this, but basically this fat soluble toxin that can cause damage to the body uh, gets metabolized or biotransformed, turned into a water soluble toxin, if you will, a compound, mm-hmm. and then is, is easily excretable in, again, sweat, tears, saliva, uh, urine, or a little bit in feces. So that's kind of a a nutshell version of it, I think. Okay, so so let's look quickly at what are toxins and what sort of effects they have in the body. So we're talking things like your heavy metals, your mercuries that you mentioned, your pesticides, your, your, I don't know, preservatives in your food, just those chemicals that we're exposed to. So, so that's honestly, this is part of my problem with the industry is we can't even decide on what a toxin is because mm-hmm. a toxin, if you think about it, a toxin is something that could cause damage to the body, mm-hmm. right? 
So then you could say reactive oxygen species or oxidative stress is a toxin, technically. Yep. Um, hor hormones, if you have too much yeah. of a hormone, yeah. can that cause damage to the body? It absolutely can. So then all of a sudden, is a hormone a toxin? And so that's where we start to run into problems, is that we just throw out these terms like toxins. Well, what is that? Something that damages the body. Well, a hammer, if you hit me on the head, is going to damage my body. Is that a toxin? <laughs> yeah. Well, they say, oh, it's internally. All right. Well, so yeah. how about how about lipopolysaccharides from a gram negative bacteria? That's an infection. You yep. know, is that a toxin? Yes, it is. So that's or aflatoxin. You have mold in your house. And, and so it, it ends up being this really broad term that people have a hard time describing. Now, so what I would suggest, the ones that people are most talking about, are that's why I think environmental pollutant or environmental toxin makes more sense. Mm -hmm. Because usually what people are talking about are things that are outside of us that get inside of us and cause damage of some kind. Yeah. And there's three, let's just say major categories of that. There's actually more. One would be things off the periodic table. So that's the heavy metals uh, by and large. So, you know, aluminum, arsenic, uh, mercury, all, all those yeah. types. Yeah. Uh, even copper, copper is toxic. Iron is yeah. toxic, you know. Um, then there's loosely the category that you can call, uh, you know, persistent organic pollutants. And that's all the ones that they get all the press, like bisphenol and phthalates and, and dioxins and all those different things, pesticides. Um, and then there's the ones that uh, you could call them volatile organic chemicals or VOCs. Those ones are usually inhaled. So um, you uh, paint, you're repainting your, your, yep. your house or your apartment and the smell that you get or cosmetics or toiletries, uh, cleaning products. Um, you know, if you buy, buy a brand new piece of furniture and that off-gassing carpets. So those are the, th I, I mean, there's more, but those are the three major categories that I consider. So, but then you consider where do those come from in the food that we eat, in the water that we drink, in everywhere. the air that we breathe. It's, <laughs> it, it literally is everywhere. Yeah. Um, so we are and, toxic, you know. Well, yes. We're and living in a so, soup of it. We, we are. Now, I, a long time ago, would say that we're all toxic and everybody needs to detoxify. Um, and and I've, I've tempered that a little bit because, like, for example, there's one published paper that suggests that, well, okay, I should take a step back. Everybody is exposed. Everybody is exposed. Mm. Period. End of story. To prove otherwise, I, I, I would need to see that proof. Now, it's going to be Different considerably, however, based on your your location where you live, New Zealand versus mm -hmm. America. Mm -hmm. Here in America, I'm in Maryland, but that's going to be a lot different. You know, I'm I'm near farmland, so we might have exposure to pesticides, but yeah. not so much some of the other things that might be more of an urban area. Yeah. Um, you know, that New Zealand sense. is gonna have different things. So also that depends on one's lifestyle, though. So me and my family largely eat organic food as much as possible. We use I don't want to say green cleaning products, but we use better cleaning products than just the standard things. Um, you know, and so we, we, so we probably have less exposure than somebody following a standard diet using yeah. standard toiletries, cosmetics. Yes. Yeah. And all those different things too. So we all have exposure. Yes. That's a, I think, I believe that's irrefutable. Mm -hmm. Is it stored in all of us? And I'm going to go ahead and say yes, but to different degrees. For example, you said you're a professional athlete. Yeah. You have sweat a lot more than the majority of people. Yeah. Um, there's also some really interesting evidence showing that exercise actually upregulates certain 
detoxification or biotransformation enzymes. Mm-hmm. Um, so you might actually be more adept. Another good that. reason to do it. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, you know, it's so funny. Like, you know, you're supposed to, but then you just see more and more reasons. And it does. It absolutely has been yep. shown in, in papers to upregulate certain detoxification enzymes. In addition to the fact that you're sweating more so than somebody who's sedentary. Um, so I, I haven't seen any literature on this, but I believe that most athletes are probably less toxic than the, the general public. And then on you, the other um, hand, the sweat is also a preferred pathway for some of the toxins to it's leave a huge the body. Pathway, yeah, I yeah. mean, the skin, the skin's been called the third kidney before, which is kind of a cute thing to call it. I mean, wow. is it, is it, or is it not? I mean, it's not like you're urinating out of your skin, so, <laughs> um, which would be gross. Next time you sweat, think of that. Um, <laughs> No, but but it, it's a, it's a major excretory organ, and yeah. and I will add this: there's some really interesting, really interesting scientific papers. Small, unfortunately, there's not a lot of money in this in this uh, uh. industry to test this stuff. But they will take a group of people, and they will test their blood, their urine, and their sweat for a specific xenobiotic or environmental pollutant, and they will find in many cases it's not in the blood. It's not in the urine, but it is in the sweat. Exactly, yeah. That's an indication that, A, it's being stored, and B, yeah, whether it's a preferred pathway or not, what what that means to me is that it's probably stored in the tissues because what you think about in the blood, the blood is circulatory and it's bringing things around. The kidneys are filtering the blood. So if it's not in the blood, that would make sense it's not in the urine. But what that means is it's stored. It's, it's if it's not coming out in the urine, it means it's not in the blood. That means it's stored in tissues, and so it's going out. So whether it's preferred by the body or not, I don't know. But that just means that it's it's right there, right close to the tissues, yeah, uh, right out. close to the periphery, and it's coming out, uh, you know, via the interstitial fluid and stuff surrounding the cells. So everybody, it, it, but here's another thing to consider too when you talked about the the demographic of the population that that, that listens to this mm-hmm. is while most athletes probably have less, I mean, it, it gets a broad statement. You can't say yeah. this. Might have less because of exercising, because of perspiring. Yeah. But are they exposed to something more than might somebody else be? Yeah. Um, so, for example, if they're drinking out of plastic bottles that mm. have been warmed up sitting in the sun all day, like might they have ac- more access more to those? BPIs. If people are yeah. outside exercising in polluted areas, yeah. exhaust fumes. I mean, yeah. you think about your respiratory rate when you're exercising, your oh. respiratory rate is quite a bit higher than somebody who's sedentary. So then all of a sudden, all those, you know, an oxidative stress. Breaths, <laughs> yeah. So, so there's other, there's absolutely, of, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So there's so, a lot of, factors to consider for sure yeah so um now let's look at so you know we've, we've looked at uh, these are the broad categories of toxins and yes we're probably all toxic so we need to be doing or thinking about doing a detox i don't want to say protocol but to thinking about constantly detoxing and you you touched on there that the the couple of studies there where you know they measured the sweat they measured the urine and so on and they got different measurements for different things that's one of the problems isn't it the assessment criteria because obviously if we're doing a detox we want to be able to assess are we actually getting and and what was when you dived into the literature of assessments into finding out which is the, the best uh how do i how do i see if i'm toxic what did you find in the literature around all the assessments? 
So in the functional medicine world, there's no shortage of, well, just tests in general and really attractive, good looking mm. tests that you, when you, when you Dumping. look at them, you want to, you want to run them. You yeah. think like, well, I would like to run this on myself. Forget my patients or clients. I want to run these tests. Yeah. Um, the, the scientific validity on a lot of these tests is not there at all, despite what people might say or think. Um, yeah. So I'm not opposed to testing for toxins, but there's so there's so many variables to consider and 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 the practitioners that are running them I don't think are considering these so I think a lot mm-hmm. of people are using them they're they're wasting their money on them um because uh because they're not considering all these variables yeah. so for example <clears throat> the first question to ask is what tissue do you test do you test the blood do you test the urine there are hair tests um technically in the literature they test fingernails for yep. for toxin exposure um there's there's so many different ways of testing the fat biopsy you want to, you want to take a needle into your fats you know take nice. some of it out and test that <laughs> but and and actually i'll say since i said that fat biopsies are considered to be the gold standard yeah. for internal toxic burden and that would make sense if that's where they're stored but the problem is is according to research and and this is done on humans mind you that different fat depots in the body store differing amounts of things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you might inject it into your, your, your butt fat yeah. and, you know, find a whole bunch of one thing. And then you do it to your abdominal fat and you come up with a higher amount of something else. So yeah. if, if that's the gold standard and you can't even have any consistency in, in, in the that. human body, then that's not going to be accurate either. And if yeah. that's the gold standard and then that's not accurate, then none of them are going to be accurate. Yeah. So, um, you know, the, the short version is, is there are some, uh, I, I guess I'll say like validated as much as you can, uh, questionnaires, subjective questionnaires yeah. that one can take and get an idea of how toxic they may or may not be. Now, it's not quantitative. Uh, it's, it's quantitative in the, in the sense that you get a numerical value for, the, yep. for, the, for a score, but it's not quantitative in terms of like, I, this is how toxic I am. I am, you know... 80% toxic out of a hundred. It's just a subjective questionnaire. But if somebody were to, to take a questionnaire like this um, and scores high, we've got a problem. And then does a few detox rounds or whatever for a few months, six months, nine months, whatever it is, and then does it again and their scores are lower. That's good enough to suggest that, that they're, they're doing better. Um, and what's interesting about some of these questionnaires is they not only ask things like, you know, do you live around industry? Do you have exposure to petrol or to gasoline? Do you have, but your symptoms as well. And so, you know, if somebody, and so it takes all of these considerations, like, yes, I live and work around a lot of chemicals, but I don't have symptoms versus somebody that has a whole bunch of symptoms that are associated with toxic exposure, but they don't live around them. So it it does, they, they really are comprehensive. I'd love uh, to get and, a couple of the links to those if we could yeah. possibly send. I just yeah. and, and listen, it's free. That's the yeah. other nice thing is, yeah, yeah. is you don't have to spend you know three hundred US dollars on some blood test that may or not be accurate. And I, yeah. what, what people are really interested in is is how toxic are you? Well, if my surroundings and my symptoms suggest that I am based on these questionnaires, that's good enough for me. Yeah, exactly. And as a post-test, if you do it six months later and it's approved, then I think you're probably doing a little bit better. It's a, bit, it's a little bit like your cell blueprint, um, which I found brilliant, by the way. And if anyone wants to check out that, we can put the links. That, that questionnaire that you've developed there gives the practitioner the direction to go in yeah. 
you know, we don't have a specific, oh, this is a definitely, but hey, you might want to check your thyroid. Hey, you might want to go and check if you've got a parasitic infection yep. or, or whatever the case may be. And I find well, that I mean, a brilliant you, system, really. That's you know? But isn't that what a practitioner wants to do? I mean, yeah. they just, they want to, they, the patients come in and they want to know, well, where should I head first? Yeah. And, and a detox questionnaire. And again, so, you know, everybody is exposed, period. Everybody's exposed. Everybody has some degree of storage. Now, I don't know how much. They might be really toxic. It might be kind. Who knows? But everybody has some degree of storage. The question is then, is are your symptoms because of xenobiotic exposure or in storage or not? And that's where these questionnaires come in handy. If you take a questionnaire like that, and I mean, because there's people out there, believe me, there's plenty of them. Everybody's toxic. Everybody needs to detoxify. There's an old book called Detoxify or Die. I mean, if that's not scary enough. (laughs) (laughs) Good book, but I mean, it's not necessarily. So we all have exposure. It's we all have some degree of storage. The question is, is when somebody is not feeling optimal, is it because of that or not? And so you can't run around screaming, everybody's toxic, because I don't know that they are. But if you score high on one of those questionnaires, then that's a direction you'd want to look into. And if you score low, I mean, listen, people will still argue it. Well, we're still all toxic. I, I wouldn't go down that road. It wouldn't be the first thing that I started It's not your first protocol. No, no. Your, yeah. Going for low questionnaires are good. Yeah, I think. Absolutely. I, I think, yeah, that's what I do as a, as a practitioner too, as a uh, epigenetics practitioner and a health coach. Uh, is go for the low-hanging fruit first because sure. we can go in a hundred directions and I can Absolutely. confuse the hell out of my clients and they can be like, what the hell am I doing? Um, but if you're going for the ones, let's tackle this piece of the puzzle and then, you know, work your way up the food chain, as so to speak, uh, but, and, and actually find out which ones are the most important. Absolutely. Now, Dr. Walsh, I, I mean, you've you've got a, and a uh, we're going to put the links in the show notes. You've you've developed your own uh, detox system, if you like, um, which I'm really keen to share with with everybody and for them to check out. Um, but let's go in now to the actual four phases of detox, uh, or is it you know, zero, one, yeah. two, and three? Yep, there's four, yeah. isn't it? Um, and most people, or some people, are at least aware of phase one and two detox uh, it, it, within the cell. Um, and I, and I, when I when I first heard you talk about this, I was like, "Wow, okay, there's a zero and there's a there's a three. Okay, well, um, can you explain in a nutshell what the body does when it gets a toxin? It's in the blood mm-hmm. for some reason. It's got in there. What actually happens next in these in these detox phases? <clears throat> All right. Well, I'll even take it just to make it really comprehensive. I'll tell you, when you said when it gets into the blood, what happens? So when it gets in the blood, it can be detoxified, biotransformed, and excreted. But uh, the best way to describe this is, so if it's in the bloodstream, I wish I had something to sort of model this with, but, but so like, so the, the blood bloodstream, and then you have, a, you have a cell next to the bloodstream. Now there's, in physiology, there's what's called a concentration gradient. And these membranes uh, so let's say we have the bloodstream in a tube. I wish I really wish I had some kind of props here. I'm looking <laughs> around. I have a, my my son has a Santa hat, got like a razor blade. I don't know. I don't have much around here. Anyhow, so you have the bloodstream, and here you have a cell. Now, if there's more in the blood of this, whatever it is, and less in the cell, it will tend to go into the cell, and it's usually uh-huh. fat cells because it's fat soluble. It will tend to go into adipocytes or fat cells. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. And so it's concentration gradient based. 
which also means, so that's how it gets stored. If there's more in the blood and less in the cell, then it will tend to go into the cell. Mm -hmm. And that's when it gets stored. There's a really, really cool paper that discusses how adipocytes used to be considered to be just an energy repository, um, but then turned out to be an organ because they secrete over a hundred different things. Wow. But one of the additional roles they suggest is that it is this, it is to store toxins or xenobiotics or things that could otherwise damage the body. They're fat soluble, which would make sense. Mm -hmm. Now the body, if that's a concentration gradient, now let's say we're in a fasted state and we haven't eaten anything and or exposure. If there's less in the blood and more in the fat cell, then it will leak out. And Uh it's based on a concentration grade. It's based on homeostasis. There's some ridiculous stories out there that will say, the body won't release stored toxins if it's not healthy enough and it doesn't think it can deal with them. That's not true. Uh-huh. What I've seen is that it actually, it leaks out from a, from a homeostasis for a concentration gradient. If there's less in the blood and more in a cell. So we are constantly leaking this stuff into our blood if it's stored. Now this gets amplified. And I talked about this in the course during uh, lipolysis. So in a fasted state, losing in a catabolic fat. state, yeah. and not even not even losing fat, but just in a catabolic state, So right. which we, we go through at night. So if you stop eating at 8 uh-huh. p.m. and you're sleeping, you're in a catabolic state, for example. If you're yeah. in a state of fasting or lipolysis, then that's going to speed up mobilization. So you now, and, and, and all the studies I've ever seen on mammals or humans show this. Yeah. In a hypocaloric state or fasted state, levels of xenobiotics go up in go the up. blood. And I'll say it again because that's huge. In a fasted state or in a hypocaloric state like dieting, then if there's stored xenobiotics, it will dump into the bloodstream and those levels go up. And they always show that every single time because that's a state of lipolysis as a catabolic state. So then now we're back in the blood. So whether it's a, an immediate exposure or it was just released, mm-hmm. the rest of the story remains the same. So right. then what happens, and, and I should just say too, there, there's, I mean, I, I get frustrated with pieces of the industry. There's, there's some people that will say, well, you know, it, it's not a detox if it's not a cellular detox. If you don't detox your cells, then you're not, de- it, ev- this happens at the cellular level. Ev- all detox is a cell detox. This, so what I'm about to describe next is a cell. So let's say we have that xenobiotic. It's floating around in the blood. We either just had exposure mm-hmm. or it came out of a fat cell at yep. this point. So in one of the cells, like the liver, the kidneys, the skin that we said has the ability to do this, there are four phases of detox. So if you picture just a cube, all I have is yep. a mug, but I have a cube, then we need, there needs to be a door coming in yep. and a door coming out. Yep. That's going to be two of the phases. And then once it's inside, there's two other things that are going to happen to this. So here's our cell. We have a fat soluble compound. I'm looking around for something. We have a fat soluble like compound. Room, isn't it? Yeah, well, that's the way I, that's the way I've said it before. Yeah, is like most people's room that. is, that was all right. So yeah, I mean, you could just use it as that. So in the room that you're in, or even a car, quite honestly, would work. Um, so if you're in a room that when the, you're the cell, that's the cell, let's just say it's a liver cell. So when the door opens, that's phase zero, detoxification. That's an actual phase. It was recently discovered in the early 2000s. Um, most people haven't heard of it, but it's legitimate. Things can block this. Yeah. Um, so, and if that, if that happens, then that's a problem, clearly. But um, So phase, phase zero is when the door opens and the fat-soluble compound comes into your room, into 
uh, where you are into right the now. cell. Yep, into the cell, right? And so then once it's there, it has to go through two phases of detox. And you said I use analogies. Quite honestly, I kind of make them up on the fly. So I They're don't know. Awesome. <laughs> but I mean, I don't even know what I said. But um, I think in the past what I've said it was is an angry so, dude. Oh, no, a dude. That we, oh, yeah, yeah, a person, yeah. Okay. We make the toxin a person who's just entered the room. All right. I make them up on the fly. I'm telling you. <laughs> so, all right. Yeah, yeah. I can go with that one. So you have the room. The room's a cell. A person is on the outside of your room. They come in, that's phase zero. And that's it. all it is in a cell is just a little protein tube. So the person comes in and they're, yeah, they're, they're fat soluble person and they're, they're angry. Um, so what did we say? You stick a sticky note on the head. Is that what I did? Yeah. <laughs> this was Which a, made uh, a Mormed. That's right. Okay. See, listen, I'm telling you, I make it up right then and there. All right. You're right. You're right. You're right. So the person comes in and they're, they will damage your room. but to incite them and make them even more angry. You, yeah, that's right. You put a little sticky note, like one of those yellow, yellow sticky notes and you put them on the forehead. That you makes them, them really off. mad. They were even more <laughs> mad than they were in the first place. And now you can calm them down. But if you don't, they're going to start flipping over your desk and just totally, totally worse than they were in the first place. They were angry when they came in, but now they're even angrier. But you can hand them a hundred dollar bill. Yep, and they're going to say, "All right, I I was angry, but now I'm not anymore. I'm good. You just handed me something, so I'll go ahead and quietly leave the room now." And then when they walk out another door of the room, then that would be phase three. So to put that, and thanks for reminding me of my own analogy, clearly (laughs) brilliant. (laughs) But biochemically speaking, so you have a fat soluble compound like a phthalate or, or you know dioxin or whatever it might be. So that come, it literally has to get in the cell in the first place. Now, researchers used to think it was a fat-soluble membrane, fat-soluble compound, and it would just go right in, and that's not the case. That it needs a, it needs a, a channel in order to bring it in. That's phase zero. Literally, it's phase zero. And why is it phase zero? Was because they discovered this after they after already knew about already phase one and phase two, like but they didn't have any numbers before then, and they didn't even know it existed. So in the early 2000s, they said, well, we'll name it phase zero. So that's the entry of a fat-soluble toxin that, let's just say, into a hepatocyte, liver cell. Phase one reactions, there's a few different kinds. They're um, like oxidation reduction type thing, hydrolysis. Basically what yep. happens is that when in the sticky note, what it had on it, it had an OH, yep. which is a hydroxyl group. Yeah. So you, you put a hydroxyl group on this person or you exposed a hydroxyl group that was already present but wasn't. Yep wasn't fully exposed. Now, the problem is, is after we put that, that sticky note on their forehead and they got even more angry, is that toxin beforehand could cause damage to the body. It could cause oxidative stress or DNA damage or endocrine disruption or a citric acid cycle, mitochondria, whatever was unique to that particular toxin. But now that it has an OH exposed or added onto it via phase one, it is water soluble, first of all. Yeah, it's water soluble, which is cool. Now your yep. body can get rid of it. Mm-hmm. However, it's considered to be an intermediate metabolite, and is considered to be more damaging yep. than the original xenobiotic. Now, it's Often. not true of every single time, and that's the thing. There are too many of these compounds to make blanket statements. People will say it's more toxic. No, it's not. It may be more damaging. I'm not going to say more toxic. It may cause more damage now that it's water soluble with this hydroxyl group exposed. But then phase two, when you handed this angry, now really angry person, a uh, $100 bill, US dollars, I'm not you guys, but you <laughs> hand him a $100 bill, 
um, or a bunch of money, they're not angry anymore. They're still water soluble. They were, but now uh, phase two is considered a conjugation reaction and conjugation is adding something to it. Mm -hmm. And so people that are familiar with phase two are familiar with things like methylation or sulfation or glucuronidation or amino acid conjugation, any of those things. But what gets handed is this. So sulfation, they get, you hand them a sulfur group, methylation, they hand them a methyl group, Uh, amino acid conjugation. It's usually glycine. Glycine will go on. uh, Glutathione conjugations, glutathione. So uh, acetylations in the acetyl group. So it's the xenobiotic gets handed to it what's unique to that particular one, if that yep. makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can make it really easy and just terms. talk about hormones, like sex hormones yep. go through the same pathway, by the way. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Testosterone, estrogen. They go through yeah. the same pathway. They do. Uh, and they will and neurotransmitters tend, as well. Yeah, cytokines, immunoglobulins, and antibodies. And all of that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. By and large. By and large. Yeah. 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 Um, so, uh, yeah, so then it gets phase two, it gets something handed to it. Let's say it gets a sulfur group and it went through sulfation. Now it's no longer damaging to the body. Now it's, it's relatively benign. It was damaging as its original compound. Mm-hmm. It came in through phase zero was made potentially more damaging by, by exposing or adding on a hydroxyl group, depending on what the compound was and depending on the biochemical chemical pathway it went through. But then when it gets conjugated, it's still water soluble, but now it's not damaging. And can there, if phase three, the second door is open, can go out of the door. Now remember, so all that does, and this is a really important part is there's, there's a lot of misunderstandings of what phase three is. Phase three is merely a tube leaving that cell, out the, out which means that cell. this thing now, if you, in terms of physiology, goes into interstitial fluid surrounding cells. And it's and so water soluble the, at this point. It's water soluble in the interstitial fluid and can be excreted in sweat. It can go through the lymphatic system, which is going to mm-hmm. pick up some of the, some of the junk of the interstitial fluid, right. but that dumps itself, that just dumps itself in the bloodstream anyways which then means it'll probably end up in the kidneys and get excreted out in urine. Um, but a lot of this can end up going in, since this happens in the liver, the liver get, will get rid of its, uh, the, these, these pathways products. through bile. Yeah. Because yeah. The, the, the route from the liver to the intestines is via bile. So Why, why is this not phase four then? Like phase three should be the thing leaving the cell. It is. That's phase three. Phase four yeah. should be like actually the the excretion it's, method. It's excretion. Whatever that is. You can you can call it phase four. <laughs> At some point, you're going to have too many phases. You'll be like, you know, the ten <laughs> phases of detox um, yeah. will just confuse everybody. Um, <laughs> no, ahead. but but after it leaves the cell, the most critical piece is is excretion. Yes. And I mean, to to we're not talking about this part yet, but I'll just say. The, the three pieces, there's four phases of detox, but the three things that must happen for somebody to actually detoxify, and I say must with a capital must, yep. is one is they have to be mobilized. You have to get them out of the storage in the first place. Two is you have to go through biotransformation, which is the phase zero, one, two, and three. And phase, the third part is they have to be excreted. If they're not excreted, and this is a really important part, if it's not excreted, it can go into another cell. That conjugation reaction, that can get undone. Can there undone. are enzymes that will undo that conjugation. So you hand it a sulfur. you're back in the shut hand... again, basically. <laughs> well, and then it becomes <laughs> this damaging thing again and can get stored in another tissue if it doesn't get excreted, which incidentally is why I have a major problem 
with most fasting programs. Yeah. Uh, most, I mean, honestly, most weight loss programs today yeah. and in sedentary people. I mean, if you take a relatively, if you take a, like a fitness competitor. An athlete's all right. They're going to yeah. sweat it out. <laughs> but probably it'll be okay. Yeah. Um, but if you take somebody who has just been storing their whole life, they've never yeah. really exercised. They get to be 45 years old. They've never, you know, they're, they were a certain weight during their wedding. Now they're 45. They don't feel sexy anymore. Maybe it's a good time to do a, a real weight loss program. The chances of them flooding their system with these yeah. things is tremendous. Yeah. And if there is not an active uh, role in, especially the, that's the, that's the mobilization. That's the first part, yeah. but to, to properly detoxify these and more importantly, excrete these things, then it's just going to go somewhere else. And I will say there's some evidence um, it's weak evidence, unfortunately. There's not a lot of research on this, but uh, but midlife weight loss might be associated with an increased risk of things like dementia and certain certain chronic diseases. I, I wanna I wanna sit on this topic a little bit and, and dive into because I had some questions when I started to understand this whole process that really uh, rang some alarm bells for me. For people who do like yo-yo dieting, uh, you know, they're losing weight, they're gaining it, they're losing weight, they're gaining it. They're they're actually doing a lot of damage than somebody who's yep. just lo- lost it. And another thing is if you're losing it slowly over time as compared to just dumping it all because you've done a, a, a juice fast that someone told you was a fantastic detox and then you've you've dumped all this into the system. And this can have impacts years later, totally. like we just mentioned, like, you know, dementia, Parkinson's disease, all of these things. Because I was listening to one of your biochemistry or blood chemistry lectures, I uh, can't even remember which one, something to do with cardiovascular system. And you were talking about the triglyceride uh, molecule or whatever you call it, and how if the legs are broken off, there's three fa- mm. uh, free fatty acids get into the system, and then this can clog up the system, cause insulin resistance, be a contributing factor to diabetes, all of these things. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. So when I'm losing weight, which I think is a good thing for my body, I'm actually also doing some damaging things because I'm releasing mm-hmm. these toxins or these free fatty acids or or things that are actually causing trouble. So when we have a detox program that's in the latest magazine, uh, or and even some of the scientific, like Dr. Walter Longo's um, fasting mimicking mm-hmm. diet, which is you know great, uh, mm-hmm. a great uh, lot of uh, research gone into it, but it's looking at the mobilization. Yep the autophagy, the mitophagy, all of these good pieces of the puzzle, but it hasn't actually considered the, the excretion. Um, it does look at the the, the micronutrients mm-hmm. required for phase one and two, which is fantastic. But so you've got three pillars here that you're talking about. First is mobilization of the fats and the tox or the toxins into the to the to the um, into the bloodstream from stored places like your fat cells. Then we've got phase one and two where it's processed, the detox, actual detox situation. And for that, we need a whole lot of micronutrients, which I want to touch yep. on briefly, like your zinc and your selenium and your B vitamins and goodness knows what. If you don't have those, your sulfur groups, if you don't have those, you're going to have trouble. And then we need to look at how do we get this stuff out? So what can we do to support the body to do binders or yep. I don't know what the, you know, the sweating protocols or saunas or whatever. 
I had one question that for me personally, I've got a mum that had a, a massive aneurysm four years ago. My listeners know about my story. I've just written a book about her journey back from massive brain damage. Now, she's lost 30-something kilos over this last four and a half years mm-hmm. when I've been rehabilitating her. She does not sweat, and she's 79 years old. She's never really sweated. She doesn't do that very well naturally, and she also now at 79 can't exercise intensively enough mm-hmm. to sweat. I can't put her in the sauna because the temperature regulation is gone with her brain function. Mm-hmm. Um I have to be really, really careful then if I make her lose any more weight, don't I? Well, uh, with brain damage, that's a, it's a hard thing to say for sure. I mean, first of all, with all that weight loss already, um, yeah. you know, the, I don't want to say the damage is, you, you, have, no uh, idea, yeah. you have no idea what's um, Yeah. Yeah. It was you know, slow. My, so hopefully it was not a And big slow, dump. yeah. So there's some, there are some interesting human studies um, looking at slow versus more rapid weight loss and how much xenobiotic levels go up. And how it affects thyroid hormone and the basal metabolic rate and all these different things too, which is their recommendation is to do slower detox. But like I said, I, I would recommend how about, or I mean, slower weight loss. I would support sub, doing detoxification pathways while you're doing the weight loss program so that you can get rid of these things exactly. uh, yeah. better and it doesn't cause damage. Um, yeah. So in terms of yo-yo dieting, again, everybody's a little different. I can't say everybody, this, this happens, everybody, it, it depends on, you know, your diet, your lifestyle, where you live is, and, and how much you've accumulated. I mean, some people don't have a whole lot. I would, I would suspect, but yeah. So there, in fact, there are at least one study that comes to mind uh, using mice and yo-yo dieting. And what basically it showed with them is that during periods of weight loss or catabolism, that their xenobiotic levels would go up. And then when they stopped in the uh, hypocaloric state, they went back into a more of a hypercaloric state um, that the xenobiotics that weren't excreted went somewhere else. And when I mean somewhere else, like yeah. a different tissue. So yeah. it absolutely Dangerous. can go from one tissue. To, absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, I mean, I wanted to tell you this uh, anecdotally, I just talked to a guy, I don't know, about a month ago who used to work at a, like a, it was a water fast detox clinic in Thailand. Mm-hmm. And he worked there for a really long time. And he said that he would, their people would fly to Thailand to go to this water fast detox clinic that had no business to do so. They were, they were not healthy. You know, it was more of a, I don't know, a novelty. So, you know, yeah. yeah, like, hey, let's go to Thailand and go to the water fast place for two weeks and do a detox. And then we'll go back and live our life normally like we did before eating a bunch of garbage. And he said they had no business doing it, but they would come back uh, once or twice a year. And the same people he said would get worse that, I mean, and horrible, wow. like liver problems, their teeth were falling out, oh like just God. wrecking them. And, and I, it was fascinating to hear that story. He didn't know why. Yeah. And I can guess why I, well, that's what I mean is, you know, to ha- actually have real world experience. Yeah. Possibly. There's no proof of this, but you know, to see these people that would do, you know, a, a, a one week, two weeks supervised water fast. And then, you know, come live their life and then come back and would just, their health was worse. Yeah. And I think that that's probably, a, a, if I had to bet, I would say that's probably why. And consider it's just a water fast. So what were they not doing mm. is they weren't excreting. Mm. They weren't sweating. They didn't take any binders. They weren't doing anything. All they were doing is just water. And so to me, they were flooding their system in a very almost completely fasted state, except for water, which is essentially fasting, flooding their system potentially with xenobiotics, not excreting them all, 
and then wow. reabsorbing and then putting them in them different in the tissues brain yeah. or something so you could you could shift the mercury molecule for example Thousand from your fat it. cell where it was pretty safe yeah put it into your blood and then it get yeah. redeposited in your brain and cause real strife and and he hasn't contacted me yet i think he will he'll probably be angry but dr uh longo that you mentioned um i, I mean the guy's brilliant he's brilliant. oh yeah he's no doubt he's, and, yeah and it's super super cool what he's doing that's a huge concern that i have though yeah is that you, you take a, an average person and you put them on what's essentially like what three to five hundred calorie diet mm. for a period of time and if you don't support the biochemical so that's mobilization for mm. sure if you don't support the second part, which is detoxification pathways, and, detox pathways, and then yep. the third part is is excretion, <clears throat> then you're potentially making them worse long term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, again, yeah. who cares about autophagy and mitophagy if if you're just redistributing these yeah. antibiotics somewhere? And wow. it's a huge concern. It's a legitimate one. And I, I'm yeah. not, I'm not saying what he's done is bad. I just think, I think it's a piece that is missing. A discussion um, needs to be had around this to be. Yeah. Added, well, added and that's true of. So, you know, take take the Gwyneth Paltrow, yeah. you know, juice fast. Yeah. It's the same thing. You're not binding or excreting anything. You're hypocaloric, yes. Um, are you improving detoxification? Well, not if you have things like celery and carrots, because those might actually inhibit detox, yeah. it turns out. Um, so you're not detoxing. So you're, you're mobilizing, not detoxifying, and not excreting. That's, that's bad news, I think, long term. Well, let's look talk about a couple of the things uh, in the phase one and two, and in and, and phase three, actually, more specifically, some of the compounds that we consider uh, great compounds for for a lot of things. Like you, you mentioned celery and carrots. I mean, that's what people juice with. Apples. I mean, I know I just had a celery juice for breakfast. You know, yep. um, I'm not in the detox, but and celery in itself is not a bad thing, nope. uh, but it can be a mild phase three, I believe, inhibitor, um, as can curcumin, milk thistle, um, some of these things that we consider uh, detox herbs, if you like, and especially in supplement doses versus uh, food doses can actually have the opposite effect. Can you go into the, just a little bit of the, the, what, what nutrients support phase one and two and three and which ones actually inhibit it and why is it a bit counterintuitive? The, well, the counterintuitiveness of it has to do with the dose, turns out. So, well, and again, I mean, as humans, good Lord, we're, we've been wrong far more times than we've been right. I mean, as a husband, <laughs> I can tell you that's true too, and father. Um, it's like a daily basis. But so what we did with milk thistle was we say, you know, milk thistle is good for liver, liver detox is therefore milk thistle is good for detox. And that's not true. Um, and that's fine. I mean, I, you know, that logical progression of thought makes sense, but that's not how it's not how it pans out. Um, so it's, it's dose related. So phase one, there's a lot of talk about phase one out there. Um, Phase one are very basic rudimentary biochemical processes, oxidation, reduction, hydrolysis. If those suck in a person, detox is not your problem. Yeah, they got other issues. And yeah. those are, they, they, they get highlighted a lot, uh, phase one pathways. But, and, you know, and, and <clears throat> people will say technically you need some B vitamins for this, but you, you need B vitamins to run most of the basic biochemical processes in the first place. So, Honestly, phase one is not a phase I worry about too much in people, mm -hmm. as long as they're nutrient sufficient, which basically means taking a good quality multi, they're probably, and I say a big probably, they're probably fine with phase one. 
there are things incidentally uh, like some of those vegetables that you mentioned. <clears throat> so this is where it gets crazy in high doses. Um, like things like celery or apples or carrots can inhibit phase one a little bit and it's dose dependent. And so it's in the concentrated form. Well, what's concentrated form supplements. If you, if you juice a whole bunch of carrots, oh, yeah. and, I mean, you, most people will juice more than they would eat the raw fruit or yeah. vegetable. So you might juice, you know, five or six, six celery sticks, three carrots, two apples, and, you know, I don't know, spinach. Well, it turns out that all those things will probably inhibit phase one in that concentrated amount. There's nothing wrong with the fruit or the vegetable eaten raw. And I will say there's nothing wrong with it juicing it either, but it's all context. Yeah. Like, um, I'll get to phase three in a second. Phase two, <clears throat> again, these are very basic biochemical pathways that if you can't run them properly, you have bigger problems than just detoxifying. Uh, phase two are very amino acid driven. So amino acids make glutathione, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, so you need amino acids just for glutathione. You need the amino acids for the amino acid conjugation pathway. Uh, things like acetylation, you need acetyl groups. Those are, you know, those are pretty easy to come by in the body. Uh, sulfation, methylation. So you need, you need certain nutrients. Usually amino acids do a pretty good job supporting that. Mm -hmm. The problem comes in phase three. So if you consider that analogy of we use the angry guy. So if you want to get rid of the angry guy out of the body, you need to have door zero and door three wide open. Wide open. So like, I mean, if you consider just like, let's say you have a line of angry people outside. All you need is a sticky note and a hundred dollar note. You want to, get to be able to now. shuffle them through. Right. <laughs> the, the problem or, and the body has a fair bit of sticky notes and hundred dollar notes, not everybody, but as long as they have sufficient micronutrients like vitamins and minerals, and as long as they're sufficient in amino acids, which again, not everybody is, they're no. probably okay. Now, again, it's going to vary with people a little bit, but you need to have those doors open. And the problem really arises and think about this, where this is putting our whole story that we've talked about together. If that, if the exit door is closed, you can undo, you can essentially take that $100 note back and now he's super angry and super angry again. Yeah. And so if that third, or I'm sorry, the third phase or that exit door is yeah. closed, yeah. that's where problems arise. And so this is where it gets super interesting to me, super interesting. Curcumin, milk thistle, green tea extract, mm -hmm. those are extremely potent phase three inhibitors. They close wow. that exit door. Wow. And when people question me on this, I'll say, oh, well, I'll show them the papers, but I'll say, look into the literature because in conventional, and this is what I say, Western medicine is brilliant. And thank God they do what they do because we're learning about things that we need to use for ourselves. So in cancer therapy, uh, Western medicine is trying to find out how you can keep a chemotherapeutic drug inside of a cell longer, longer so yep. it can interact with cancer better. Yep. And so in medicine, they talk about these pathways because they, they don't want these pathways to work because then you need a higher dose. These, yeah. these chemotherapeutic drugs, they don't want them to exit the body. They want them in the body so they can the act cell. against the yep. cancer. Yeah, yeah. And so you know what researchers are using to block that phase three in cancer 
treatments is milk thistle and curcumin. And they're even using green tea extract and some of those types of things. They're using those in doses that people would take as a means of keeping the chemotherapeutic drug inside of the cell longer by blocking phase three. So this so, is all about context then, isn't it, Dr. Walsh? We're not totally saying context. green tea's no. bad for you. We're saying nope. if you are doing a detox and you're mobilizing yep. all these toxins, don't take green tea at that time or curcumin or milk thistle at that so, time. If you're trying to keep deal. something good in oh, the cell, go for it. Well, so milk thistle, I think, and I don't have a list of 10, but it deserves to be on a top 10 list of herbs. Milk thistle is amazing at what it does. It's so broad in all of its mechanisms. It is truly, truly an amazing botanical. Right. It turns out, and, and one of its big roles, as people know, is it's hepatoprotective. I mean, it can regenerate the liver. But it turns out the reason why, this is where it really gets cool, the reason why it's so darn hepatoprotective is it's, it blocks its own exit out of the cell. Wow. So why, <laughs> why can milk thistle be so awesome for a liver cell? Because it blocks phase three, allowing it to do it. its other stuff to do inside of the cell longer. So that's wow. why it's so great as a liver herb. It's horrible mm. as a detox herb, though, because it blocks phase three. Mm. And if you don't let that angry guy out, you're going to take your $100 note back and he's going to be even more angry again. So you so need we, to know what you're after, what well, you're wanting. Listen, and, and understand this too. So I came at all this research in the same way that everybody else did. I was, my mind was blown by this. I, my eyes were open and I thought, holy cow. And, and just to give you an example, well, I'll just, I'll make my statement and then I'll tell you why. Unless proven otherwise, I think most botanicals, most herbs, most stuff don't have a place in the detox program because people truly don't know what its effects are. Now, I'll qualify what I just said. You can take any nutrient, like quercetin's been studied. There's a bunch that have been studied. And here's the problem when it comes to detox is the same compound like quercetin will increase detoxification in one tissue of the body, like the kidneys. It will decrease detoxification enzymes in another tissue of the body, and I'm making this up, like the liver, and it will have no change on the exact same enzymes, exact same enzymes, same quercetin, same dose, different tissue or cell will have a different effect on the same enzymes. So what that means is, is so you can say, well, does quercetin detoxify or not? You say, well, I don't know, because it it does in one cell, it inhibits it in another cell, there's no change in the third should you put, and listen, if someone wants to use quercetin, go for it. But in that I've read, in my understanding of this, until proven otherwise, I don't think quercetin deserves a place in a detox program. I don't care who says what or shows what. When you look at the, the, the dearth of studies in that one area on quercetin, you end up like, I have no idea what quercetin. Does it detoxify or not? I have no idea. So it's a senolytic, so, isn't it? Like it's, it's, until it's otherwise proven... Yeah, you get don't take it. So that's true of, but it turns out it's dose dependent. And uh-huh. so the amount of quercetin found in onions, how is probably beneficial for detox. The amount of curcumin found in turmeric is beneficial. It's helpful. It stimulates phase three in a high potent dose. It inhibits phase three. Yeah. Same with green tea. Like, you know, green tea as an extract and in a capsule is going to cause problems. You know, a single cup of it, not so much. I don't, I don't, I don't think, but it is context. Milk thistle, curcumin, these things are all amazing. Apples, celery, it's all amazing, but it's all about context. If but you're actively detoxifying, detox. I don't think they have a place in a detox program. 
So quercetin is, is for people who are listening, it's a, basically a senolytic, isn't it? That's that's meant to help yeah, like knock off yeah, senescent cells and, and things. Mm-hmm. So it, it might be useful for that. So what we're saying is well, these are all great things, but at the right time in the right context for the right person is is the well, key. And this, I mean, this is where it gets hard. Quercetin <laughs> a step further. So quercetin blocks histamine release from a mast cell. It also inhibits the thyroid. So, wow, I've got, I mean, this oh is my what God. I mean. <laughs> you have to look at the totality. No, that's what I yeah. mean. But so, so that's fine. So somebody who is hypothyroid with allergies, maybe quercetin is not the best idea, but somebody, you know, with normal thyroid and allergies, then possibly it would work. So and that's, that's why these broad, wow. well, I mean, this is, if, if you followed my work, you know, I'm, I'm against protocols, but that's why, yeah. because yeah, like one protocol will be brilliant for one and harmful for another. Same protocol. Yeah. Um, and that's why it was so great with all the blood chemistry stuff was, um, you know, like trying to understand the actual physiology rather than just going yep. X, uh, one plus two equals three. And therefore this person has X, Y, Z. And, and like, to be honest, as a, as a, you know, health coach, that's pretty, it's a lot of work trying to get that into your head. It's how the whole physiology, it, it's, it's harder than working from protocols. Absolutely. Oh, it's a pain in the butt. It's it sucks. Me more work to do. <laughs> it's horrible. No, it sucks. It's horrible. But I mean, listen, no, and, and here's the thing. As, as a practitioner, you can either decide, and, and I don't judge, I don't care what somebody does, is you want to go down the easy route and just use protocols on people mm. and not think much. That's totally fine. If it, For me, it's integrity. I mean, if yeah, I'm, if people are exactly. going to pay me to try to help them, I will do my due diligence in trying to do so. Um, and, and knowing that, I can't just give out protocols, which no. sucks, because then it, you bang your head against the wall for every single patient sometimes, and it's, it's, it's not easy. It's not, so but, it's, but it's good medicine. Can we just touch on before I know, and I know we've, you know, nearly have to wrap up shortly, but thyroid, um, how does all of this affect the thyroid? And I, and I'd love you, (laughs) if you need a suggestion for the next thing that you want to bring out, I need help with thyroid. Thyroid is an epidemic sort of problem. And And it's not easy to fix nutrition. Yeah. And and trying to do it without, you know, um, just taking levothyroxine or althotroxin or whatever, um, isn't, isn't fixing it for most people. And a lot of people are subclinical and, uh, the toxins that we're having and the the hormone, com- you know, the state of our hormones, estrogenic, if we're dominant estrogen or testosterone, it's all having effect on our thyroid. And our thyroid is just so important. Have you got any, you know, words of wisdom in regards to the thyroid and in, in, in all of this? Uh, okay, Good so question. as it pertains as as it pertains to toxins, I can I can briefly discuss that. <clears throat> um, I will. I listen. Uh, thyroid. Here's my take on thyroid. Thyroid dysfunction is very downstream, meaning, in my opinion, it's not usually primary. Yeah. Uh, it's usually secondary to something else, whether it's, yeah. you know, inflammation. I mean, who knows what. Um, another thing that, that the practitioners must ask, ask themselves, they have to ask themselves. This is, I mean, if, if people don't remember anything else, is remember this, is it, when you observe something in the body is to ask if it's on purpose. So, for example, I, you know, I did a workshop on, on adrenal fatigue. Mm-hmm. Um, is, you know, maybe it's low cortisol because the body wants low cortisol. And maybe yeah, it's yeah. actually low, maybe low cortisol is protecting the body. And I have a lot of evidence to suggest that it is maybe low thyroid. So this is the thing. Is it a thyroid issue? Is it something that's causing the thyroid issue or is it an organic thyroid issue? And if it's organic, does the body want it to be that way? Is, yeah. is there, 
I mean, it's hyper, it's hyper, hypertension is protective in some cases, I will tell you. Um, You can go through the body and there's a whole bunch of insulin resistance is beneficial from a metabolic, from an evolutionary perspective, as is PCOS. Um, So, you know, these are areas that I think that medicine has wrong. But so when you think about quickly the physiology of the thyroid, so there's the the hypothalamus that makes TRH and then Mm -hmm. the pituitary makes TSH and the Mm -hmm. thyroid makes T3, T4. And there's a conversion of T3 to T4. There's binding and there's receptors and all. So there's probably about 10 different 10 places that can go wrong. Yeah. Okay. Xenobiotics in the literature, scientifically proven has been shown to affect every single aspect of thyroid physiology from the, from the stimulation of production in the hypothalamus, TRH, TSH, thyroid hormone production inside the liver, thyroid hormone release, thyroid conversion, thyroid binding, and then eventually thyroid binding onto thyroid receptors inside of a cell. Every single, every single aspect of thyroid physiology is, and, and I'll, I say this, because it's potent. It's a potent effect with xenobiotics. So, so to make it wow. clinical, if somebody is having thyroid dysfunction, subclinical thyroid symptoms, or it's showing up on a lab, what do you do? You have them do Upstream. one of those subjective, do the, the, the questionnaire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if, if they score high, say, listen, I don't know if this is going to fix it or not, but you scored high on this. It's worth a shot. And so then you do a few rounds of a detoxification program over the course of a few months, six months, whatever they have, however high their score was, and then have them retest it. And if their thyroid rebounds, then yeah. I've seen some pretty crazy things with with that detox. In fact, um, this is more of a male thing, but I have have a a patient right now uh, that reached out, um, long story, uh, really chronic, chronic guy, uh, probably Lyme disease just wrecked him like neurological wrecked him so, so bad. I feel so bad for him. But because of that, he developed low testosterone, low testosterone symptoms, mm-hmm. erectile dysfunction. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, he's, a, he's an awesome guy. Uh, he's, he's, he, I say he's awesome because he had accepted these things. Like, right? well, this is, I'm, you know, he's, he's in his upper, upper 30 years old. He's, he's not even that old, but wow. kind of accepted it. Be like, this is, this is my life. You know, a certain amount of erectile dysfunction is going to be my life. That's, and he did, he did my, my detox, um, 10 days for the month afterwards, totally normal. He was, he was on fire Quick. in that area. Quick. His, he, he retested his testosterone, his testosterone went up. So I'm not saying that my, clearly, I'm not saying my detox does this, but you know, what, what shot. did he do during that 10 days that was able to, he had such an amazing effect. Was it the calories? Was it the foods he was eating? Was it, was it a detoxification thing? I don't know. So I say all that because if somebody has symptoms, do one of these symptomatic, I'm sorry, subjective questionnaires. If you score relatively high, that's, the, it, that's, the, that's the best assessment that you can do. And I would try a few rounds of doing a detox program. Wow. Um, if the, if it wasn't high, I wouldn't bark up that tree. I would, I would consider something else, you know, the subclinical infections or micronutrient deficiency or, you know, genes. A lot of people like to jump on the, on the genetic train, yeah, but, um, yeah. you know, that that's a possibility as to why too. And well, uh, how mental, we process these things. Yeah. How we yeah, process mental emotional things. issues. Absolutely. All those yeah. things. Yeah. And the, the genetics, I'm right into the whole functional genomic stuff. And, you know, that definitely plays a part in how we process things out of the body, good or not so good or, or whatever. And as part of this, this thing. So, okay. So, if we're looking at, uh, so the thyroid in this case, look upstream. Have you got toxin exposure? If mm-hmm. you have, 
well, let's look at avoidance for starters. How can we yep. avoid some of these? Clean up our house, clean up our personal hygiene products, clean up our food, organic when 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 possible. All of these things. Then look look at a detox. Now, your detox program is a ten day program that you can do on regularly, depending on how toxic you are. Sure. And the first yep. uh, sort of six days, I think it is uh, six days, is sort of based around the fasting mimicking. So a low a low calorie diet with a good mix of macronutrients to make sure that you've got all the stuff in the body to to do the phase one and the phase two. Um and what's what is the second part of your detox and how do people get this this protocol if they want to do it for themselves or practitioners listening out there, how can they get this to help with their clients? Yeah, so the the our main website right now is is metabolicfitnesspro.com. That has all of our courses, including the detox course. There's the there's the practitioner based one, which, I mean, that's the one I like. I will say, but that that has all the science of all the path. It goes it goes deep into the science basically for practitioners, so they have a better understanding when they're talking to their patients, and uh, they they just know how the processes work. <clears throat> we have a, a more watered down version of it, the Walsh Detox, uh, that's available to the general public. Practitioners will buy that one too, but it doesn't have as much science. It's it's a lot more watered down. Um, but it's the same protocol, essentially. Yep. Um, so, yeah, those, those are available, metabolicfitnesspro.com. The second part of it, I mean, since recording that, uh, I, might do, I might do an updated version of it soon here. Um, that whole 10 days was for somebody who has never done a detox type thing, any kind of dietary modification. So just consider, you know, the average person, you know, you know who they are. Yeah. Um, who's never really done much with their diet, minus trying to lose weight at some point. Um, for, for people that are more experienced with dietary modifications, um, that are probably a little bit healthier going into something like this, like yourself, um, what I've been doing with people is we will do, instead of one 10-day detox in a month, we'll do two of the latter half. So two, mm-hmm. four to five-day mm-hmm. If that makes sense to you. So yeah, it's really just that modified time. fasting mimicking diet. So it's five day, the more intense version. Yep. Um, but we'll do two of those. So first week and third week in a month, we might do five days of that. Um, and that's that's arguably the the more uh, practical, I guess. Yeah. Well, doable. a potent part of it too. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's it's more potent than you know the ones with the mung beans and all those other things and the protein. Um, so there's a couple ways of doing it, but it just again it depends on where somebody is. Uh, we've had people with with multiple chemical sensitivity that didn't feel real well and they had to modify their program more binders more food so they weren't as hypocaloric longer saunas at a lower intensity Uh, so it's not it's not a protocol it's principles if that makes sense so that that are modifiable depending on somebody so somebody like yourself i wouldn't bother doing those first six days i would just do the last four days straight to a couple few times a month if you wanted to yeah, and 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 keep processing the stuff. And this is a, yep. uh, it really is. A, you know, just just a final on the on the binding. How can we help our bile, like bind up our bile and and some of the things that we can excrete? So sauna, you mentioned, is a great thing. Exercise and sweating and sauna. Um, what about laxatives and diuretics and things? Are they bad because they you know to help once you've got the stuff out to get it out or binders like activated charcoal, chitazan. Yeah. So those are all in the program. Uh, well, and, and here's the other thing. I 
there's so many, I think, garbage detox programs out yeah. there that I wanted to try to make what I thought was the first truly evidence-based one looking at the scientific literature. Yeah, and so there are, there are binders that exist that I didn't include because I couldn't find any literature on them, like zeolite or um, you know bentonite clay. I love them. I think they're great, mm -hmm. but I couldn't find any literature on them. Things like charcoal, <clears throat> uh, cheetosan or ketosan, however you want to pronounce that, um, fiber, soluble and soluble fibers you know, uh, modified citrus pectin, they all have some evidence behind them that they actually either increase bile excretion mm -hmm. uh, or can, uh, or help in when they increase bile excretion, increase xenobiotic excretion as well, uh, which is fascinating. That's what we're after. <clears throat> um, there are, you know, in terms of, so that you ask a really good question, you know, what's somebody's liver health going into this? What is their bile production going into this? Yes. What is their, their bile flow going yeah. into this? Yeah, all that stuff. So um, I've been meaning to do sort of a follow-up to, to that program because I have like a, like a phase two of that where you can modify some of these things. Um, For you know, certain, difficult patients, you know. Like well, yeah, so kind of, I mean, it eventually puts all this stuff together. So you're doing the blood mm. chemistry stuff, you said. Um, you know, so like if you determine that somebody has fatty liver, they probably don't have very good bile flow and they may need some additional nutrients to do a detox uh, that you don't or, or I don't or yeah. maybe most of your listeners don't. Um, you know, there's there's pH gets comes into this as well, which is kind of a big piece when it comes to the kidneys and whether they reabsorb things or not. Um, but just the fundamental principles is designed to help somebody who's relatively healthy, you know, do a good detoxification program and and see results yeah um if somebody is particularly unhealthy then there there are some modifications that would need to be made that would be a great update to the <clears throat> to the to the whole thing yeah for people you know like a mum's case no gallbladder liver yeah. enzymes not too bad but they're not the greatest um yeah. you know all of those sort of aspects but i mean that's going beyond <laughs> today's uh discussion um dr walsh thank you so much for sure. all, all of the work that you do in this area it's absolutely mind-blowing it's opened my eyes to a lot of things i really hope people go to uh, metabolicfitnesspro.com uh check out dr walsh's detox program but not just his detox program if you are a practitioner there is a whole a lot of education and stuff that you can uh, I have a lot of colleagues who I talk with and Dr. Walsh is a hot topic, he is a hot topic, everybody's learning from Dr. Walsh, so people out there listening if you want to get it from the best, if you want to know what's really in the literature and you don't want to sift through PubMed for months on end and do it yourself, which I really don't have time to do, then I'd rather get it from someone like Dr. Walsh. So thank you so much for your time, Dr. Walsh. My pleasure. Thank your you. Honor. Thank you very much. You too. That's it this week for Pushing the Limits. Be sure to rate, review and share with your friends and head over and visit Lisa and her team at lisatarmaty.com 